Chronic, repetitive, or overwhelming acute stress is considered toxic stress. There are long-term consequences to toxic stress because it places us in a state of allostatic overload, which leaves not just one, but multiple body systems depleted of energy and struggling to return to homeostasis. Elaine D. Duncan from her book, The Tao of Trauma. This is Exploring Polyvagal Theory, a dialogue to deepen our understanding of the nervous system and how we might make safety in everyday life accessible for all. I'm Lauren Hubelay. I'm a health educator and gymotherapy expert, and um, I'm joined by some really amazing women today. I'm so excited, but let me first introduce my co-host, Japanese acupuncturist, Megan Limp. Megan, so happy to have you here. Hi, Lauren. It's wonderful to be back with you. I'm really looking forward to joining with you all today. And I am so pleased to be joined by another co-host today, a passionate polyvagalist, Cameron Scott. Hi, Cameron. Pleasure to be here with all of you today, Megan. Thank you. Okay, great. And we have a very special guest today, um, Megan Etheridge. Um, is an intern of mine and a dear friend and a beautiful mother and wife who has gone through um, quite a trauma for her family in the past few weeks. And Megan, um, being the person that she is, um, was willing to come on and share what she's learned so that we can all um, gain some insights into dealing with trauma in all different types of situations. Megan, so happy you could be here today. Lauren, so excited to be here with all of you today. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. So when I hear this quote, ladies, what comes to mind for me is a term that I've used in classes I've taught in the past years is emotional inflammation. You know, for a long time, I, I saw immunity on this physiological level. And then as I began to study the nervous system and emotions, I, I realized that our, we can also become emotionally inflamed. And I feel like that's what is being referred to here in this idea of allostatic overload. It immediately resonated with me and I can pinpoint, oh yeah, I'm in allostatic overload. And probably even right now. Um, Cameron, I'm going to ask you and then Megan to shed some light on this quote from your lens and given the backdrop of these current times we're living through. It's hard to imagine that any of us are not in allostatic overload. Our autonomic nervous system is in charge preconceptually of our sense of, of safety and our ability to, to interrelate with one another or our biologic, you know, impaired survival. And how many of us, whether we're talking, you know, hurricanes, fires, pandemics are not being massively overloaded, constantly overloaded with biologic that then translates to emotional 
allostatic overload. Mm-hmm. What about you, Megan? You know, when I was reading Elaine Duncan's book, The Tao of Trauma, and it, it, it's introduced early in the book, and she talks about allostatic load and overload by referring to how much external stress we have and how that's paired with what our internal reserves at the time look like. And I think that that really brings it to life right now, you know, in the midst of this pandemic. Um, I think that through the lens of Asian medicine, there's quite a lot of stress for most of us, if not all of us externally right now. And in uh, Asian medicine, we talk about the kidney energy acting as our savings account. And I think that I know that I feel this way, that I'm dipping into my savings account quite a bit right now to maintain uh, homeostasis and return to homeostasis again and again. And so I think it's, it's a beautiful time to talk about and get in touch with um, how we feel internally and externally right now and how we're showing up and what our reserves look like. Mm. Wow. Thank you both for your insights. Um, so, you know, when I, I look back over these last months, I think this is always, this has been what we're all doing. We take in the information we work with our nervous system. Okay, that's how life is right now. I, I can handle this. And then comes the next layer, right? Oh, okay, this is how life is. I can handle this. And, and, and again, right? And, um, and now on the top of everything we've gone through, we're having these natural disasters and um, I don't even know if we can call these fires natural disasters. They they are very unnatural, right? They're a result of um, all the changes in our climate that we've gone through. And I'm sure for everyone on the West Coast feel anything but natural. But what does that do to our nervous system, Cameron? I mean, we when we keep adding on top. Mm. Well, one of the wonderful things is our growing edge has to do with the right degree of challenge. When we're stretching, when we have money in the bank in terms of our resiliency, our resources, as Megan Lemp said, we can, you know, continue to grow and expand. However, the moment that it feels like too much to our autonomic nervous system, we then are overwhelmed and challenges us into a survival response. Mm. And that is so key because think of it, you know, if someone throws a ball at you, you probably can, you know, have a, a quick alert and, and move. But then there comes another one and then another one and another one and another one. And all of a sudden, I can't do this. I can't do this. And it's biologic. Our system just finally says too much and steps in in protecting us, doing its biologic job, but it takes us to that highly taxing mobilization, flight or fight biology. And then from there, is that allow us in service to quickly come back into more balance and, and more homeostasis? Or are the challenges coming in too fast? And does that eventually then really affect us? Because we cannot live in a constant state of 
life threat mobilization biologically. That's where, again, the stressors and stressors and stressors over time will really, we, we're hardwired for survival, but we are also hardwired for connection. We're hardwired for having enough reserves physiologically and emotionally. And the state always comes first. And then our stories pretty much support, if not intensify, our states. Wow, so speaking of stories and states, Megan, I mean, that's why you're here. What a story. And I think for our listeners here, um, what one of the things that we have tried to come across with in this podcast is there's the story, but there's the physical experience. There's the emotional experience. And that's what we can do something about, right? The story eventually has to get dropped, but it's the response that our body is making. And um, I, I know you've had a lot of time to think about this, so I don't want to um, get in your way of how you would like to share a little bit about your story with our listeners. Yes. Um, so our hometown took a direct hit from a category four Hurricane Laura. Um, just almost, it's been 20 days actually, because there are people who are counting. Um, and it is complete and utter devastation. There's really no other word to describe. You can look at pictures um, and you can imagine and be told this is what your house looks like and, and these things, but to actually physically get in a car and drive back and see the trees that used to stand and the buildings that used to be and the red lights that used to hang um, is just a, uh, there really isn't a great word for it to describe all of the emotions that come with it and being in that moment um, and, and living this experience of being an evacuee and we still are evacuated um, and not having the necessary things of life of running water um, and electricity and um, just looking at life from a different perspective and a different lens. And it has been um, and a, a roller coaster of emotions in experiencing this hurricane, um, this catastrophic event in our lives. But it has also been um, a blessing in having Jimmo's and having um, the knowledge of polyvagal and the three states and being able to observe myself and where I am and how I'm feeling and what those um, flags look like for me in each state. And not only myself, but those that I love too. And um, I, I think Lauren, we were talking one day and I used the term of like how strong someone's emotional immunity is. And if it's not very strong, then how quickly they resort back to those old habits. And just in that survival mode, like Cameron stated, and sometimes that's positive and sometimes it's not. And so also being on that experience of we've all gone through this devastation, but now um, watching people who aren't emotionally strong and how they are coping and having to love and support through that as well. Um, so it's a multi-layered event, not only physically um, in, our, in our hometown and the devastation that occurred, but also individually for myself as a mom, as a wife, and then expanding that to parents and siblings and, and loved ones. Beautiful, Megan. Megan, I know that um, 
you're quite the caretaker. Um, and you had several family members evacuating with you. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that? And what, um, I'd be really interested in camera. You might have some thoughts about that. Um, whether there was opportunity for Megan to regulate in falling into her role as a nurse and a, you know, taking over the situation, I would, you know, and Megan, feel free to share what you experience and what you're thinking. But also, if you have questions for Cameron, I think that would be interesting. Um, it's so inter not interesting, but I love that you asked that question because I feel like for me, initially, I am a caretaker, but it came down to who do I have to care for the most? And how is that person coping? And for me, that's my son ultimately, and then my husband. Um, I have um, beautiful in-laws. Um, my husband was a later in life child. And so they are up there in age and my father-in-law is not um, very well. Um, and so we took them with us because obviously at first they were like, no, we're just gonna stay. Well, there's no staying in a category four storm. I would never want that. I would never recommend that for anyone. Um, you just never know what your roof's gonna blow off. There's gonna be a tree down. It's just not a safe place. And so we took them with us and to experience, and I'm a nurse and I'm a hospice nurse. So I see end of life and I see, I see um, disease processes in their progression and I see and measure decline. That is what my nursing um, assessment does in the population that I serve. And we have observed a huge decline in my father-in-law, which on top of, again, talking about the multi-layers, you know, so physically we've experienced this individually and emotionally, all the things along with my son and my husband, and then to another emotional, um, state added on top is to have to watch and then my sweet mother-in-law where it puts her and just having to see her spouse of 57 years no longer being able to step up to the role of he always made the decisions and made plans and she looked to him of okay what are we going to do now and he's not in a mental state to where he can any longer be a part of those decisions um, so being able to be mindful of myself because if I'm not in a good place, then I can't help anyone in that place. And I think that is the first step that you and I talked about, Lauren, um, in, in realizing what I needed to keep myself in the best state possible in order to be able to help and hold space in those times where she needed a friend or support or whatever it may be. Uh, Cameron, what about what her father-in-law could have been going through. Are there some thoughts you have on that? This having, you know, being in this age state and then trying to process what he's experiencing. Is there anything unusual there or interesting? One of the things that I love according to the polyvagal theory is continuing to be curious because particularly with, with your education and professional experience, um, Megan Etheridge is, he's going through huge challenge, but we don't know yet, is it his way of his system protecting him and, and keeping him going that's really looks like a decline, or is this a temporary overwhelm for which he will regain some of his resiliency? And I believe the jury's out on that one. When you take so many cues for everyday safety out of your life, 
quickly, it, it will see where someone's resiliency is or isn't, but that doesn't mean that he won't necessarily be able to earn back a lot of his resiliency. Yes, I 100% agree with you. And while I haven't given false hope, it is something that I've been using as a light and a positive thing for my mother-in-law, like, just like a child. And, you know, the circle of life is kind of that. We are children and grow up with our parents and we hit middle age where we're on our own and functioning. But as we start to exit this world, that decline comes back in needing people to care for us. And so that's all about routine and things that are familiar um, and things where in his home and his routine, he's able to have control of. And with taking some of not taking, but him not being able to have any control right now is also plays a big piece into um, he's always made decisions and been in control. So I like you, I'm very anxious to see, is it just temporary from all this overload or is it um, just a climb that has happened that will never be regained? And one of the things I love is like, it, it, it's like he's had the, the rug pulled out from under uh, in terms of all of his cues for safety and feeling good about himself. So he's got to be at some level of, you know, adaptive survival response and knowing that the best way we can communicate and invite someone back who's in a dysregulated state, a survival state, is has a lot less to do with what we say and a lot more for the, those cues biologically, energetically, that we can offer for safety, for connection, that will be a lot of that invitation. And it sounds like you have this wonderful, your home away from home in terms of your autonomic nervous system is mobilized. And, and if you can keep that great umbrella of enough ventral vagal energy on board, that you can really use that mobilized place in service to others and keep enough of your regulation and that whether it is to you know basically your mother-in-law being able she's in a different response state and offer her cues and invitations for safety and appreciating the situation as well as to your father-in-law meanwhile being there for for you know your your little one too it's, it's a lot and you're so right it's it's that view of the you know when the the airplane depressurization and the masks will come down you've got to put yours on first before you start tending to the rest of the passengers with you absolutely and being um i love how i was prepared in my journey of life that this was going to happen and so i needed to know these tools all the way back then because i can't imagine how much heavier it would be and um, where we would be oh gosh but I find it so interesting while I was thinking about this and the three different states, I'm like, God, I wouldn't even see I was in ventral vagal. Like, I, I don't know if I would be able to tell you that, yes, I have been there in all of this, but it's so interesting that you see it as how I'm speaking that I'm that way. Because for me, ventral vagal in normal life looks completely different mm -hmm. than it looks right now. And so that was just a huge aha moment that based on this, um, experiences, especially large traumatic experiences and how we're still on those three levels up and down, but they take on a different look and feeling as opposed to in our normal lives. Is that true? Absolutely. And, you know, we can really sense that difference when we get completely hijacked into a, an adaptive survival response, then we've left all ventral vagal or most all ventral vagal behind. And that means leaving our prefrontal cortex 
behind. So that's our ability to, to really have any rational thought. Um, and you can tell a difference. If we have enough ventral vagal energy, we can still be highly mobilized, but still have some perspective too. And it sounds like you've been eking out enough. It's that umbrella that's allowed you to be highly mobilized, but also a bit of keeping your wits about you. It's also Jimmo's too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I'd love to have, you know, hear more about that because it's so true. I just dealt with a, a, um, a session where someone was, in, and this is someone who's living through the fires as opposed to, to hurricanes, but she says, okay, so I, I, I've just, I know that I, I'm, I'm okay right now, but she's, my felt sense is not telling me I'm okay. And I'm thinking how important when our biology is saying something different and still responding of in any sense of I'm not okay, it's going to affect every aspect of your well-being, physically, emotionally, humanly. So I want to talk about these masks coming down. Megan, what was your mask when it came down to so you could get your oxygen? What were you doing? That's a great question. Um, I think first was just making sure that everything that we needed in order to evacuate was was taken care of because I am a doer. I am a caretaker. And I mean, I, we grew up on the coast. Hurricanes are a part of our life. And so I was leaving with the intention that I was not going to go back to a home that was livable, that it was just gonna be completely destroyed. Um, and so what things are most important in life and having to have that conversation with myself, but be okay in having that conversation with myself. Okay, things can be replaced. The most important thing is life and family and these small few things that you know were important to me and us. Um, and I think the second thing, I'm trying to remember back to that day, deep breaths because it was a thing that I could do while driving. Um, deep breaths and prayer, because it didn't, it wasn't a meditation practice, you know, where I needed to find a spot and close my eyes because there was no time for that. Um, that has come later in these days of just being evacuated and what I can incorporate, but really being mindful of what emotions were coming up and being, not trying to suppress anything. Okay, fear, okay, sadness, okay, annoyance because the traffic's not moving fast enough or whatever it may be and sitting with that and breathing through that and praying and knowing that the Lord was going to take care of us and that good was going to come out of whatever bad we endured and it has. Um, wow. Well, Megan Limp, I bet you have something to say about that breath work there. Yeah, I think it's beautiful and Megan, you keep using the word mindful and I think, you know, one of the ways in my personal life and in my um, experience with my clients that I think that we can nurture our reserves or um, gently shift our state is when we're able to observe. You know, I think that there's this beautiful marrying between um, you using your normal set of tools that, uh, which you said are more sympathetic, more task-oriented and doing, but also bringing a little bit of the ability to observe yourself in there. And I think when we observe ourselves and others, there's um, a little bit for me in the language of the word observation that implies that there's not so much judgment. You know, I know that sometimes they can 
both be in the moment together. But often when we're observing in a mindful way, there's not a lot of judging happening. And I think that that is one little piece that we can do that um, saves some of our reserves that um, you have so needed recently. And, you know, our lung energy um, is a, our outermost layer of protection energetically. And so I think it's beautiful as you nurture that. Um, we know that the inhale raises our heartbeat and brings a little bit more activation. And when we focus on the exhale, it's a little bit more of that break and that um, return to um, a little bit more of the parasympathetic state. So using that tool, I've also found that humming and singing are really beautiful when I'm feeling really activated. And it sounds like naturally you really um, went to some beautiful tools to keep yourself regulated. Because last week when we had Terry on, we saw a beautiful example of uh, co-regulation. She had a career as a teacher. And we were able to talk about, you know, talk about co-regulation. As a teacher, so many people are co-regulating with you. And it was really um, reminiscent of that when we were talking about your work uh, as a nurse and particularly a hospice nurse, that I imagine that on a daily basis, so many people are co-regulating with you. And um, to see and you offer us a little sneak peek at how you brought some ventral into the moment. Uh, to maintain as people in this situation have been co-regulating with you um, is really, is, I'm grateful that you're able to share that. So thank you. Beautiful. I love that, Megan, real quick. Um, I never associated humming or singing as part of that regulatory state, but my son is four and he has been belting it out in the back seat. And that's kind of part of his personality, but it has been so much more so lately. And it's so, I just had an aha moment for him and um, him regulating. Wow. Yeah. Comes natural, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've just unlearned it. Megan, you've mentioned Jimmo's and I'm, of course, I'm curious. What did you leave the house with and what worked? Everything. It was a top of the priority list. Jimbo's and homeopathy were coming in. Um, it's always a joke because Philip knows. My husband is just like, okay, where is it? Because he knows it has to be in a certain spot to make sure, you know, bottles don't get um, dropped or anything like that. The biggest things, and um, our group of interns have been such a um, support. And there are times, obviously, in this state where clear thought isn't there. And so this is when we can rely on our community to be like, hey, this is, I can tell you how I'm feeling, like, please tell me what I need to do. And so the biggest thing for me in getting out was anxiety. Just, to, just a, not an overwhelming anxiety, I wouldn't say, but a buzz up for sure. Just this low level hum. And so I always love common fig and silver lime. And I added a drop, I had a drop of each and I added a drop of white willow to it. And holy moly, that is a very powerful, effective trio. Mm, mm, mm. Megan, that's, that's amazing. I mean, we, we can look at this, the common fig helping you digest all the things that are coming at you, right? And then the silver line helping kind of with a head to toe regulation. But here's where I think you were absolutely brilliant is that white willow because everyone right here can automatically imagine a white willow tree and all these beautiful branches. 
and they come together, right? They, they all come together and that's what white willow does for our nervous system. Uh, this sense of overwhelm, it helps us bring it all together, contain it. And that sounds like that did just the trick for you. It did the trick, not only for me, um, but for my mother-in-law one day who came mm -hmm. to us and she was just tears streaming. Um, and I said, oh, Miss Billie Jean, and I touched her and I motioned her to come sit down and I said, take some deep breaths for me and I'll be right back. And I went and grabbed those three gemos and I ran back to her and it was within 15 minutes. And I said, how are you feeling? And she goes, oh, that's so much better. Like she could take a deep breath and that weight had been lifted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, did you feel your state was shifting once you were out of the house? My state did shift. And so um, it's been beautiful. Some um, different you really see people come out with their knowledge base and just freely sharing. And so there have been several things circulating from therapists um, discussing emotional states and how, you know, the first three to five days, you're just, an, a, it's just adrenaline pumping. And so it's like, then you're like, okay, I can do this and everything's okay. And, you know, everyone's functioning. And then you just hit that wall and there's no more adrenaline. And so you're stuck in this just, I guess it would be in using the polyvagal lens, like, which which state you're in and most people i will i know i wasn't familiar weren't familiar with the other states and the awareness of what that looks like for me as an individual and you know how do i move back to something more functioning and so the the biggest things was just this overwhelming exhaustion mm -hmm. just so 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 exhausted and so in those times i turned to black Kern and oak for adrenal support uh -huh. And, and how did that help? And I've actually thrown some giant redwood in too, especially on the days with maybe um, when Philip was doing physical work and they have been, I mean, it's miraculous is the word to use it because it will take you out of this completely exhaustive state and back into, I love how Megan used their term tapping into that reserve. Well, it's like filling that reserve up, like here's some more gas for your tank. Mm -hmm. Megan Limp, you love um, giant redwood. So I know that you have some thoughts on that. I do have giant, I uh, love giant redwood and I love the subtle differentiation of how we experience oak and giant redwood and um, when we need each of them because I do think that, um, you know, offering, you know, in our language adrenal support and through Asian medicine, we would call those you know, um, kidney chi tonics. And, and so it does exactly, Megan, what you're talking about, it does build up our reserve tank and, um, and offer us, you know, just what we need to have sustainable energy and keep going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Megan, are there other extracts that have worked with anyone that you would like to share? There are. Hawthorne has been huge mm -hmm. for my little one who, um, I've, it's like a proud mom moment and how strong he's been. It's like using a measurement of how well we are as parents and stable and how just free he is and not worried really. He has his moments. I miss my house and we had to drop the dog off somewhere. I miss my dog and you know, those moments, but they're very fleeting and few and far between. And he is just loving life and all the new experiences and just so gracefully being a kid, being four and 
not a worry in the world. But in those moments, um, maybe of sadness, or if I really can't put my finger on it, but I can tell something's off, a drop of Hawthorne, and he's delightful and happy again. Um, we've also had to use some field maple. Mm. We all get a little bit irritable in all of this, you know, just chaos and not being in our normal routine, um, and that's helped. You know, I, I love thinking about the Hawthorne, and I'm so glad you brought that up. And Cameron, I don't think that the conversation we had on Hawthorne made it to podcast material, but this was an extract I taught you, talked to you about that um, um, helps harmonize four out of five of the activities of the heart. Do you remember that conversation? I do, yes. Yeah, and what you told me was like, eye-opening and I think it's really fascinating because while we were um, 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 while, while we were talking here I, I had written down cues of everyday safety this came up among all of our conversations and then you mentioned Hawthorne Megan and and which that's what Cameron says tell do you remember what you shared with me well it's the importance of that felt sense, which is precognitive, and being there a platform that allows us to really respond. And it's four out of five, that's, that's in the land of, you know, where all that um, mobilized energy is. So it, it, you're automatically reducing potentially like four fifths of that mobilization that is pulling us toward a sense of unsafety and so you're 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 bringing in all these cues for physiologic safety which then allows our autonomic nervous system to do what it's do does so well which is bring us into a more of a you know a total belief of well-being but it's all neuroceptive up you know i i hope we have listeners that need to hear this this is the extract when your external world is not providing you with any cues of safety mm -hmm. and you can manage this internally because your body is reminded it's going to be okay and that would go for all of you looking out your window at red smoky skies or you're watching the news or you're watching the weather report um i, I this is the extract for our time. I mean, there's no, no bits about, Megan, do you want to say anything about Hawthorne? Are you able to, or um, share any, anything more about that? Yeah, I would love to. I think, you know, my experience of Hawthorne has just been something that we've confirmed with um, what other people are noticing, which is I think that Hawthorne is almost universally applicable when, in fear states when we're having trouble accessing uh, any ventral energy. Because I know that um, we talk a lot about the heart in polyvagal theory, but also when we talk about Asian medicine and how trauma is communicated to the body, we talk about that message being a change in, it, it comes from the heart, it's a change in our pulse. And Hawthorne is a heart extract. 
And so when we talk about energetics, when we're first thrown off, we try and solve problems through social engagement. We try and talk, you know, and find a solution with somebody or, and, and that social engagement is the heart constrictor in Asian medicine. And then when we can't solve the problem or the problem just feels too big and we know we can't try in that way, for example, we need to evacuate and there's no time to really talk about it. Then we, the message goes straight to the heart energy and the heart energy so effectively changes the pulse and communicates out to every cell in our body what needs to happen. And then when it's, you know, when we've survived and we've made it to safety, it's the heart energy that sends out the new cue, which is it's okay and it's time to return to homeostasis. And so nurturing that heart energy with Hawthorne, I can't think of a better way to both perceive and send the right messages, whether it's, it's time to mobilize or, hey, every cell in our body, we made it and it's time to return to safety now and, and a felt safety and an embodied feeling of that. Mm. Megan, I also wanted to ask you about um, something you said about fig that was so beautiful, um, you know, and Lauren said how it, it really helps us digest what we're experiencing. But I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you said sympathetic is your um, kind of way that you're kind of wired for sympathetic in times of stress and, and doing. And it's been my experience with fig that any time that sympathetic energy moves into a place where we're we're, we're buzzing in a way that we can't have embodied safety in that moment. We, we almost leave our body a little bit when we do, do, do sometimes and it's buzzy. It's been my experience that FIG helps me re-enter my body almost and ground and feel that embodied perception of safety. You know, sometimes we can be in a safe place, but we don't have that embodied feeling of safety still, and that's really what we're going for. And I wanted to ask if, if you experienced that with FIG or not. Since I've never taken it solo, I can't pinpoint that, yes, it was the FIG, but I can tell you with the trio, with FIG, um, Silver Lime, and White Willow, that I was buzzing a little bit. Um, and just in that, oh no, what do I do? Where do I go? almost kind of state. And I was like, yeah, that's not effective and going to get me anywhere. And we have all these things to do. And so that just took me back. And I love how you worded it. Um, like enwrapped me in safety, like Megan, you're okay. And you're stable here and stabilized that so that I could be like, oh yes, I am. And these things need to be done and able to just go and do. And in almost, I wouldn't call it peaceful, but it wasn't chaotic. I can definitely tell you it wasn't this disorganized, um, chaotic, very messy, almost like looking back. It was, um, I would say, as peaceful as it could be in that kind of situation. You know, Megan, what you experienced was organized and effective use of your sympathetic state, which thanks to Cameron Scott, I realized we can do that. Thank you, Cameron. I never realized those two things went together. <laughs> In my world, sympathetic meant running around in circles telling everyone there was danger. But actually, <laughs> there were times that I didn't call sympathetic. That was when I was very organized and focused. And that sounds like exactly what you got. It's this very productive energy burst. That's exactly what it was. And in, um, 
okay, I can do this, not a, I'm trying to force myself to be productive and effective and remain calm, but there was really a calm inside of me. I love it. I like to think of the way that the fig um, tincture allowed you, Megan, to, to really be in that mobilized place, but kind of add the missing element, which is the, the parasympathetic so elements of, you know, the, the dorsal vagal, which is, you know, the, the really below your diagram, digestion, but also the, the ventral vagal. So it's sort of wrapping it in a blanket of being able to pull heavily sympathetic, but not being completely hijacked because you had your vagal element added, which was missing at the moment. Mm. Mm. Wow. This is so rich and juicy, ladies. I, I know we could go on for ages. Um, Megan, what else do you feel like would be helpful for others out there listening now? Do you have any further thoughts or, or suggestions? Um, as always, I just want them to know the power of knowledge and the power of there are things that can help you um, remain calm even in cases that are even in situations that are nothing of calm whatsoever um, and that there is power in this medicine of gemotherapy not only from a physiological aspect but also for this emotional huge emotional aspect to support and strengthen um, us in every journey whether it's a pandemic whether it's a hurademic like someone termed a hurricane on top of a pandemic or a forest fire or an emotional tragedy in your family there are so many things being thrown at us right now but we can still um, settle into a space where we are thriving and peaceful um, and experiencing joy, even in the midst of the world around us, not. Mm, beautiful. I think you just gave a ad for Deb Dana's work, right, Cameron? Yes. Well, and so often we are so organized around, you know, being pulled out of regulation, but some of that trust that you're learning in your system is seeing that resiliency of coming back and coming back again and coming back again in spite of everything that's going on around you. Yeah, beautiful. Megan Limp, anything else you'd like to add as we close up today? Oh, well, Cameron, it's always so wonderful to be with you. And Megan, it's really nice to uh, join with you and I appreciate you. I can, you know, I can feel us co-regulating and I can feel that you are bringing some ventral and I'm so um, grateful that you came on to share because um, I know that um, your willingness to share is helping us all get more in touch with ourselves um, and how to show up and care for ourselves and others. Yeah. Yeah. And listeners, um, you can reach each one of us at our own personal websites. You've just heard some very passionate and compassionate women talk about the challenges we're facing today. And um, I'm sure you will want to learn a little bit more about their work. Cameron, if I understand, it's CameronScottMA.com is your Thank you. Lovely website. And Megan, it's acculimp.com. Beautiful. And Megan Etheridge, your website? MeganEtheridge.com. 
beautiful, and laurenhubelay.com to learn more about chemotherapy. So thank you all. And I wish everyone listening that they can look around and find their cues for safety in this time. Thank you.